Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to Father Yuri Sakhu, Director of Spiritual Life and Pastoral Ministry at Ukrainian Catholic University, giving a talk on the current political situation in Ukraine. Father Sakhu's talk was sponsored by the Department of Academics at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Hello to everyone. and. Um, Actually, I, I don't want my presentation to be very formal. Uh, I think that uh, it's better to reserve more time for questions and answers, yeah, because in that case, I would understand what you are interested in. And uh, uh, I didn't prepare a very formal presentation. I, I don't have uh, a text in front of me, just a few notes. Uh, but I think that. Uh, I would have to present uh, some background about the history of Ukraine, about the history of our church. I represent not only uh, the Ukrainian Catholic University, but also uh, the Ukrainian uh, Catholic Church, which is the largest Eastern Catholic Church in communion with Rome, which is following Byzantine tradition, by the way. And, uh, and also I will tell you a bit about my university and its mission. Uh, actually, I came here to Steubenville. This, uh, this my coming was uh, uh, planned long time before <coughs> the revolution started. Uh, Professor Alexander uh, Sitch uh, mentioned that uh, I became the head of the pastoral department at our university. And already from the beginning of my work, I've been thinking that I'd like to visit your university because uh, we know about you. Uh, and we know that you have a very good pastoral program here. Uh, there, are, there are households right here. And uh, we'd like to build something like that in Ukraine. We'd like to use uh, some of your experience. So uh, today in the morning, I, I met Father Brad. And he told me uh, about different methods, methods, spiritual methods that uh, you use here, and about the model. Uh, so we'd like to use it and to share with you and uh, different uh, spiritual perspectives that we have back there in Ukraine. Uh, but uh, I think that apart from my uh, learning of your uh, pastoral methods, it would be very useful if I share some personal experience of participating in the revolution of dignity, we call it revolution of dignity, that is taking place right now in Ukraine. And I will tell you about some conclusions, but also uh, I'd like to share with you uh, my spiritual vision of this revolution. Uh, my aim is not only to inform you about different events. You can read them on the news. Uh, but uh, uh, our people and uh, our university students are going through very important spiritual transformation that is taking place right now in Ukraine. And from that perspective, I would say that uh, what is taking place in Ukraine right now is not only a problem which needs to be sol solved somehow, uh, I hear from people here in the United States, many people approach me and say me, 
to me as uh, terrible things are happening in Ukraine. We'd like them to stop. We'd like uh, this to be over, right? But uh, I also think that what is happening in Ukraine uh, transforms our people and uh, uh, is giving birth uh, to, a, uh, to, to a better society. Actually, what we are having there is a birth of a civil society, which we didn't have before. And uh, the president of our university, uh, who is American-born, Ukrainian, from Syracuse, and he, he graduated from Harvard University, uh, in, in one of his talks to, to the students, he told them, you are making the history, and the history makes you. And uh, after revolution, you will inevitably become different than you were before. But those are important words. Uh, he also said very important uh, mm, ref reflection in, in front of our university's community. He said that right now Ukraine is going on a pilgrimage from the empire of fear to the kingdom of dignity. You are all familiar with Old Testament, and you know as people of Israel left Egypt and then to a promised land, but they spent 40 years in the desert, right? So this revolution seems to me like leaving Egypt. Seems to me very similar to Israel leaving Egypt and walking on the pilgrimage, preparing to enter the promised land. And uh, then people were standing on the main square of uh, Kyiv and demanding, uh, demanding from the president their, uh, their natural rights, human rights. Uh, it, it is similar as Moses was asking the pharaoh, saying, let my people go. And his heart was uh, like a stone, right? He, he didn't want to listen. That's why he was punished. And uh, we can see punishment for a contemporary president and politics who are uh, supporting him uh, right now in, in this moment. But uh, people went to a pilgrimage. And they are growing in their understanding what what, 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 what is happening with uh, them. So from that perspective, I would say that uh, what is happening in Ukraine is very uh, important thing. Uh, and uh, the promised land is not achieved yet. There are plenty of things which needs to be done. Yet it's already certain that there is no way back and uh, we can see that democracy in Ukraine seems to be winning right now. But uh, there are still uh, questions from the spiritual perspective. Uh, there are still people in Ukraine uh, who do not really understand what, what, uh, what happened. And uh, there is uh, mm, 
there are many questions like, why did we have to suffer? Uh, why did we have such a president among us? And why so many people die? Or even, where was God? Then some those terrible things happened. But in that case, I'm also uh, saying to my students that uh, there is no resurrection without cross. There is no happy celebration of Easter if you do not go through uh, the sacrifice of the great land which we are approaching right now. Great land, right? And also, if we want to achieve something really important in our political, social life, spiritual life in Ukraine, we also had to go through sufferings. We, uh, God does not punish us. God always teaches us. And He gives us a lesson. And He has given those lessons before. He has given great gifts to Ukraine in the past years. In 1991, then the Soviet Union collapsed. We received our independence, but not necessarily freedom, but uh, we received independence in 1991. <coughs> no people were killed. It was a great gift, but people uh, thought that they, they do not have to work too much uh, on the development of their countries. There would be no more Soviet or communist or Russian influence. And this is enough. Everything will go by itself. But we were wrong. And we understood in 10 years that uh, we have to, to be uh, active. And, uh, and we had another gift. In 2004, we already had the so-called Orange Revolution, similar to revolutions taking place in Georgia or uh, in Egypt. But uh, in 2004, we had a good candidate for president. It was Viktor Yushchenko. Probably you heard, you heard about him because uh, right after his election, he went to the United States. He went to a Senate uh, and uh, he was very warmly welcomed here in uh, the United States. But again, our people thought, if we have a good president, he will do what we need for ourselves. We, we do not need to, to control him because he is a good guy. And uh, still, it was not enough. We didn't learn from the history too much. And I hope that this revolution will show our people that everyone has to be responsible for his or her own country. People went to the main square, and even now, then uh, Viktor Yanukovych, our former president, is gone. People are still standing on the main square because they want to control even new democratic government. They don't want them to just trade places in the government. They want uh, them to understand that from now on, people are taking responsibility for their country. And they would look very closely 
if you are getting very rich because of your po political career, we will control you. That's what we are saying, you know. So this is the, actually the birth of the uh, social society that we are having in Ukraine. Uh, and I think that uh, that sacrifice of almost a hundred people and maybe even more, we don't know yet, there are still many people missing and over a thousand people are injured and among them are students as well. Some, uh, some people were unjustly judged in uh, one of our professors, former a rector of our university. He was charged and we had to support him in, uh, in the court, Father Michael Demet. So uh, in the last three months it was uh, very stressful, quite a difficult time, but also there is a hope, there is a lot of hope in, uh, in the last events uh, in Ukraine and as you know it's not over, because uh, right now uh, the main issue is uh, the unity, the unity of uh, uh, our uh, country, of Ukraine. Ukraine is a big country. Uh, we have 46 million people living there. And uh, our country is, has always been between East and West. And, uh, uh, the, I have to tell you a little bit more about the history, probably, of Ukraine. Kyiv has always been the historical center of Ukraine. It's a, it is 1,500 years old. That's, that's an old city. And uh, also this city was a cradle of Christianity in Eastern Europe. Actually, Moscow was a daughter church to the Church of Kiev, and uh, Moscow was established uh, several centuries after Kiev was already there on the political uh, map. But right now, they are trying to present themselves as mother church and mother land for Ukrainians. And uh, uh, Christianity was accepted in Ukraine in 988, so this is over a thousand years ago, it was accepted from uh, Constantinople, so in its Byzantine Eastern uh, form. Uh, but what is interesting that even after the year 1054, when formally Orthodox and Catholic Church uh, excommunicated there, is this, uh, there was a schism. In Ukraine, uh, at least for another 200 years, we were still in communion with both, with Rome and Constantinople. And this is very, uh, very uh, important about understanding of Ukraine because it shows that we are really between the East and West and we are, uh, and we are integral part of the West and of the East politically, nationally, and in respect of religion. And, uh, but uh, but the, from the 12th and 13th century, uh, the church uh, in Ukraine, the so-called Kievan Metropolia, 
actually became orthodox. But uh, with the fall of uh, Constantinople in 1453, there was a decline of orthodoxy, you know. And uh, in Ukraine, our bishops understood that uh, this is no longer possible to, to stay with Constantinople because there was no theological education. We had so many different problems. And our church, Ukrainian church, was the first among other Eastern churches which decided to join Rome. And we signed in this, the end of the 16th century, in 1596, we, we signed the so-called the Union of Brest. And after this event, many other Eastern churches decided also to join Rome. <coughs> so that's the beginning of our church, Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, which exists we believe from the time of the baptism uh, by Saint Vladimir in Kyiv, but uh, it, we can also say that it exists for 400 years from the Union of Brest as we joined communion with Rome. And uh, it was a happy event, but uh, some of the bishops and faithful still decided to, to stay orthodox. And uh, the Union of Brest, which was supposed to become uh, the kind of reform for the church, also caused division in Ukraine, and uh, which uh, exists to, to the present day. Because in Ukraine we have Catholic Church, Eastern Catholic Church, which exists mostly in the Western part. And there are from five to seven million people belonging to the Catholic Church. And the Eastern Ukraine, which was mostly under influence of Russia and belonged to the Russian Empire for 300 years, it is predominantly Orthodox. So there are differences. Catholic, Orthodox, influence of Russia and influence of the West. And uh, this is the main problem right now because people in the eastern Ukraine and especially Crimea Peninsula, which is in the Black Sea. Uh, they think of themselves as part of the uh, Russian world. But not many of them, but some, some of them. And uh, right now there, there is a threat that uh, Russians may... Uh, okay. This is probably too soon to, to say something, but there are some threats from Russia. Uh, anyway, uh, what is important about our church, Ukrainian Catholic Church, that at the time of the Soviet Union, it was persecuted. In 1946, in my city, in Lviv, we had uh, organized by the Soviet state and KGB council uh, of our church. Uh, and uh, some priests were just forced to participate in that council. Uh, and there was a decision to join uh, the Orthodox Church, the Moscow Patriarchate. But most of the priests and all of the bishops, all of the bishops decided 
they, they would go underground. And so many of them were persecuted. We have, I, 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 apart from being uh, the head of the pastoral department, I also a parish priest. And uh, I, uh, I serve at the church, which was blessed by uh, John Paul II, then he came to Ukraine. And it's named after uh, modern martyrs of the Ukrainian church. He proclaimed uh, 27 martyrs when he came to Ukraine. Some people, uh, some priests were just killed and some suffered very severe persecutions. One of them was crucified. Another one was boiled in the water, hot water. Our head of the church, uh, Patriarch Yosef Slipey, was in prison and he spent 18 years in the different camps in Siberia and was released only because of uh, uh, cooperation of uh, President Kennedy and Pope John XXIII. And he, he went to back to Rome in 1963, participated in the Second Vatican Council, and he had made this, uh, his famous speech in front of all the bishops from, of the Catholic Church. And he said that Ukraine suffered so much, our church suffered so much, that I believe that we deserve a patriarchate. Because now, right now we have a major ar archbishop, but our church wants to be uh, the church of its own legal standing, the church sui iuris, which is uh, quite an uh, autonomous church in communion with Rome. And uh, uh, that's how we understand our identity and mission, mission right now. We can talk about this more, but this is not the main topic of today's presentation. So, uh, uh, also the, one of the most idea, uh, important ideas of our patriarch Joseph Slipey, who suffered, was to re-establish the university, which would be the place for people from different countries, uh, from Ukrainians, who can come together and study theology and rebuild the church. So he initiated the, and he established the, the Ukraine Catholic University in Rome as a small institution exactly 50 years ago. Uh, uh, this year we celebrate 50th University of the Ukraine Catholic University and uh, <coughs> very soon after proclamation of independence our university was re-established in uh, Ukraine in 1994 and so already for 20 years we have very dynamic development of this in institution, which, which is very modern, which is uh, very uh, much oriented on the Western uh, values and Eastern uh, spiritual uh, tradition. Uh, and uh, this university takes very active participation in the social and even politi political life of our country to the extent 
that in the past our university was also threatened by the government. And we had several times that representatives of the secret police or KGB were coming to our university, to our rector, saying this, please, please give us names of your students participating in the activities against the government. We had that. But uh, right away we, we would go to mass media and public uh, places and we, we will say that something like that happened. And we are against this. And I, it, it happened many years before this revolution started. So even, and, uh, and you know this, that this revolution of dignity started from, uh, it started in November. 21st of November, President Yanukovych decided that he wouldn't sign the economical agreement with uh, European Union. And uh, uh, students, young students, were the first who came on the streets to protest because they were uh, born already in the independent Ukraine and uh, they do not see their country as being part of the so-called Russian world. They see their country as part of Europe. And not so much associate themselves with moral values of Europe, but mostly with uh, uh, living according to law, having uh, just trials in the court, things like that. Uh, Western values in that respect. So the students of our university, of our Catholic university, came on the streets uh, one day before the students came to the main square in Kyiv. So it, it all started actually from our university and from our, our, our students. And it was totally peaceful demonstration. But I think that the government made a, and Yanukovych made a great mistake because they thought that they can act like, uh, like the government acts in Russia and Belarus. And on the night, night from the, uh, on, on the night to the 1st of December, they sent police to, uh, to expel people from the main square, students. And uh, there was no need to, to, uh, to, to use the power against them. And, but they do not only like, push them out of the square, but they beat them so severely that many people got to hospitals. And, uh, and thank, thanks God that today we have media. Everything was filmed. Everything went immediately to the internet, Facebook. And uh, next day, one million people came to the main square of Ukraine, from different parts of Ukraine. One million. And uh, already not only students, but everyone. And people were standing in peaceful protest against this uh, government. And very soon it became not an issue of European Union. People just fo forgot about Europe. They don't want to become part of Europe. They want to build Europe in Ukraine. That's the main issue. This is not political. This is not political revolution. This is revolution of dignity. People are fighting for the truth, 
for the human rights, for just a normal life in their homeland. They don't want to be enemies to anyone, even to Russia. We want to, to be friends with Russia. We want to be good neighbors. We want to trade, to have political good relations. But we want to have our independent state. And we, we want to have peace and uh, just uh, normal human rights. Uh, in Ukraine, uh, people uh, are usually very uh, uh, obedient to the law. They pay taxes most, most of the time, but they realize that all of the taxes go to the president and to his family. So he was able to build houses, maybe you saw on the news, 85 million house, another house, 100 million. So just one, one man, and he had billions. In four years, he became so rich that he had several billions. And people who were with him also, they were billionaires. So can we say that, billionaires? So the, the, the people could, could not, uh, could not uh, uh, could, could not be in this position anymore. And uh, they stand uh, on the main square for two months, but uh, they realized that nobody hears them. That's why uh, some of them had to act even aggressively, uh, but they didn't have weapons. And uh, the state obviously had weapons, and they had army, they had police, uh, and uh, they started to shoot people. And we witnessed that last week many people were just killed by snipers. And, but uh, what was not taken into account by the Ukrainian government that even then they start shooting people, people would not leave the main square. Uh, on the contrary, even more people were coming. And what was even more important, that it was not only the Maidan, the main square, that the revolution was taking place, but people went to the streets in thousands and tens of thousands in most of the cities of Ukraine, taking power from the officials uh, which were connected with Yanukovych. They, uh, they didn't understand that this is not only a small number of people from Western Ukraine who are not satisfied with his uh, ruling, but this is the whole nation, or basically almost the whole nation that was participating in this revolution of dignity. So we understood uh, several important things uh, from this experience of uh, revolution. We understood that it was a process of maturation of our nation. And right now, we do not expect so much changes from the politics, what, but we understand now that we have to expect changes from ourselves. 
And we understood that the revolution actually took place not on the main square, but it has to take place in our souls. The Maidan is, is in our souls, where we stand for human rights. This is important. We, had, uh, we understood that we don't want to have change of uh, political personalities, but we want to have change of the system, of the system. Because uh, th th there, there is a difficulty right now, because uh, even in, in the opposition, there are politics who uh, have different political orientation, but uh, they can act as the old ones. So this is important that not only that they other people will become uh, our uh, prime minister, president, but it's important that they follow different system, that we, that we expel corruption that existed in Ukraine. People understood that freedom as the most principal right of every human being is more important than even life itself. That's why so many people went and suffered and even were killed. They understood that the freedom is more important than life. And from the spiritual uh, perspective, uh, I would also say that <coughs> right now uh, we can really say that God is among us and He is giving us a new chance. He's, he, he again gives us a great gift which we have to use responsibly. And He also showed us that even if we think that evil is so strong and it has all power and weapons and army, sometimes it it seemed to us that we will never be able to move Yanukovych and, and his supporters and uh, this army. The evil was so strong. But uh, it was important to believe that evil can never win. That, uh, it, uh, that uh, from the beginning of crea creation, God has already expelled evil. And on the cross, God has already won. It's important to accept this reality as Christians. But we are already winners. And to live this reality. It was important for Christ Christians in Ukraine to understand this and to live this reality. Our church took very uh, active participation in the revolution, but uh, uh, even though was, uh, there was a threat against our church, uh, the Ministry of Culture wrote a letter to the head of our church saying that you can no longer have liturgical services on the main square among the, uh, among the protesters, or we will close your church. We will deny the registration. 
but uh, the head of our church immediately went to the pr press conference and told about this to everyone and uh, and uh, we had to back up but still there was a threat and uh, as it it has always been uh, from the time of persecution but our head of the church also told that the church cannot be involved in political issues but our priests can and should be always among their people. So we had many priests among the protesters. We had everyday masses, everyday liturgies uh, during all this time. And uh, uh, it was very important to see uh, for people that church is with them which cannot be said about the Russian Orthodox Church, which uh, was a side of this uh, process. And uh, mm, in all our eparchies, in all our, all our dioceses, uh, bishops called people that they have to pray basically all the time for the people on the main square. And, uh, in our Catholic University, we had constant prayer, people changing themselves even at day and night praying. And, uh, and we also had very strong fast, very strict fast. Our, our bishop said that evil can be expelled only by prayer and fast. So in each diocese, we had very strong fast one day a week. In Lviv Diocese, it was Thursday. In Kiev, it was Wednesday. And so people fasted, and the, the strong fast meant just water, no food at all, or at least bread. So many people fasted. Also, our bishop said that in 9 p.m., all have to gather for prayer in their homes. Father, mother have to kneel in front of their children and uh, they all have to pray for the freedom in Ukraine. This is very powerful moment and uh, people were praying all the time and I think it was very decisive for, for what uh, eventually happened, happened and uh, democracy seems to be winning right now and we can see that God is alive he actually was there all the time and those uh, sacrifices were needed and accepted so we can cherish our freedom and understand that we are responsible for our country and so we can guarantee that nothing like this would happen in the future. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.